this is Marina Guimarães for Wikistrat. Our podcast discusses global events that might affect political scenarios across the globe. This week's topic is smart cities. So to talk about Neom in Saudi Arabia's Northwest is Christian Uriksen. He's a Baker Institute Fellow for the Middle East and has worked as a senior Gulf analyst at the Gulf Center for Strategic Studies and as a co-director of the Kuwait Program on Development. Mr. Uriksen, it is very nice to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. So, Neom is part of Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman's plan, Saudi Vision 2030. Why is this plan important for Saudi Arabia's position in the Middle East? Well, Saudi Arabia has a population of about 32 million, of whom 22 million or so are Saudi citizens. And uh, oil reserves are very large, but they have to be distributed among across a very large population. And the Saudi government has been trying for many years to diversify away from oil and to try to build a more sustainable economic base that will cushion the transformation into a post-oil future whenever that may happen, even if it's 50 years down the line. And whereas previous Saudi kings have all been in their 70s and 80s, 90s, in the case of King Abdullah, King Salman is 85, uh, and they won't have to face themselves the realities of that transition to a post-oil economy, Mohammed bin Salman is 35 years old. And if he really truly believes he can be king of Saudi Arabia for 50 years, it may well be that it's on his watch that transition takes place. If Saudi Arabia by 2060 or 2070 is really having to build a non-oil economic base, that's going to be too late. So he's trying to transform the economy before it begins to become a sort of a desperate situation, which is why he launched Vision 2030 in April 2016, when he was still only the deputy crown prince, and he's since then made it his signature policy initiative. And also, at least the team around him have tried to sell it to the Saudi public as a case of Mohammed bin Salman, and only him has the capacity or the ability to transform the Saudi economy. So it's also become very closely intertwined with his claim to be the next king, the king in waiting, the sort of the only figure that can have a sort of a map through to the next phase of Saudi little economic, less political. So on its official website, Neom is described as a revolution in urban living. What do we know about Neom so far? What positive outcomes can it bring to Saudi Arabia and MBS's image? Well, I think just like with Vision 2030 in more generally, is to some extent a mismatch between expectation and reality, partly because Neon, like Vision 2030, has been sold as a sort of transformational and aspirational uh, initiative. And so we've seen, as you say on their website, sort of use of kind of buzzwords and uh, computer graphics to suggest that there's going to be an incredible new development and I mean, the reality, I think, four or five years in, since it was first announced in 2017, is that until now, at least, that development on the ground has fallen far short. So a number of 
palaces for members of the royal family have been built. An airport is being built to service those palaces. And at least until now, that's the main, um, that's been the main area of development. For the Saudis, for, for the many young Saudis, for example, who often claim to be the base of support for Mohammed bin Salman, they haven't yet seen any direct benefits of them. They haven't seen, or they have still cannot necessarily travel to Neom, to live and work in Neom. And, and that's still quite quite a long way off, I would say, at least until the middle of this decade, if not if not more. So what, what does a smart city mean for the region's economic development overall? Do you believe in a spillover effect in other countries in the Gulf and the Middle East? So maybe Saudi's uh, relationship with Israel, can that have an impact in, in Israel or in the, the country's relations with Iran, for example? Well, I think the use of technology to try and create more sustainable cities, the use of technology to try and create cities that are obviously sort of less of a burden on the environment and that are sort of more tied together is something that Saudi can not only learn from, from sort of best practice in the wider region, including from Israel, but also export if, if they get neon light. And, and there were attempts, for example, in Abu Dhabi with Mastar City to try to create not necessarily a smart city, but a city devoted to renewable energy. Now, again, Mastar City has been around since 2007. And actually what we've seen, because we have a longer time horizon in that respect to, to measure it against, is that the initial plans for the city have been scaled back and its time frame has been extended. So again, suggesting it might be harder to put into practice than and at least the kind of planners seem to think. But, but certainly in terms of providing a regional model, if it works, then it could be quite significant. The fact that other countries in the Gulf who are also planning smart cities of their own means that it could to some extent be an element of competitive rivalry as well. And we've already seen signs of Saudi UAE economic tensions and rivalries beginning to bubble up. So I think one of the challenges of development in the Gulf has always been that there has been an overlap in uh, initiatives uh, of three major world airlines in the Gulf, for example, three or four major financial centers for the region, uh, huge airports and ports. And so there's a risk, I think, that there's no regional coordination. So these smart cities could ultimately be competing for the same resources, which obviously, at least for now, have also been hit by, by the coronavirus pandemic. But, but yes, to go back to your, your question about Israel as well, I mean, there's obviously overlap in terms of the high-tech sector, in terms of many of the technological advances that would be part of a smart city. And of course, the location of Neom in the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia, right kind of close by to that sort of little corner where Saudi, Jordan, Israel, and Egypt all meet is also potentially advantageous should there ever be a political breakthrough in relations. Um, there's already a plan for Neom to be, to some extent, transnational with elements of it extending to Jordan and to Egypt. And I suspect that Mohammed bin Salman, especially if and when he becomes king, would, would very much like to see Israeli involvement in it in some capacity at some point in the future as well. So let's talk a little bit about domestic politics. So we know that 
Historically, Saudi Arabia is the home of several tribes throughout its territory. One of them is called Huaytat, and they have been facing eviction. And there has been recent death of Abdul Hamim al-Huwaiti, and this has sparked criticism towards the kingdom's development plans. Niam is also called an accelerator of human progress. But what is what is its true cause for Saudis? Well, as you say, the land in which Niam and other major development initiatives as well, like the Red Sea Project and Amala, Kadia, this is not the only, I think the Saudis call it Giga Project, that is under consideration, although it's by far the biggest. But as you say, the land is not sort of virgin territory. The land is already populated by, by tribal groups and communities that have lived there for hundreds, if not longer, years. And the Hawaii Tat is a group that has ranged across the borders of, of that part of the Arabian Peninsula into Jordan as well for, for generations. And the Saudi style of development is that when the land is earmarked for development, it goes ahead and the, the communities living on that land are basically told to given no option but to relocate. I mean, they're often given incentives to do so, uh, incentives such as housing elsewhere. But of course, for many tribal groups, the link with the land is much more important. It's emotional. It's also a sort of living link. And so there are groups, and as you say, the Hawaitat and the, so the, the person who was killed last year, 2020, refused to move. And this is going to be, I think, a continuing issue for the Saudi leadership to have to face in terms of human rights issues, in terms of the increased human rights focus on Saudi Arabia under Mohammed bin Salman after the death of Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. And so when incidents like this do happen, uh, they will continue to be reported. Also, because Neom has been planned by the Crown Prince so heavily focused on international investment and on, on the outside world, and so the cost to Saudis is that they don't necessarily see that Neom is being planned for them. It's sort of a an attempt to try and rebrand Saudi Arabia internationally. The sort of benefit for Neo for, for Saudis is, is perhaps less clear. Saudis will be able to even get jobs to live in, work in Neon, for example. It's, it's not clear at the moment what the benefit for them would be. Okay, so do you expect more respect towards human rights by Mohammed bin Salman in the years to come? Not necessarily. I think there has been, to some extent, a shift in rhetoric just because of the additional perceived pressure from the Biden administration that came into office, at least claiming to want to hold Mohammed to a higher standard, perhaps, than Donald Trump. So to some extent, there has been a shift in rhetoric, but um, in practice on the ground, and especially perhaps far away from sort of international observation. I think a lot of the same behaviors have been continuing. The difference being, I suppose, that obviously in this age of, of smartphones and social media, you don't have to have observers on the ground to very quickly get kind of information out on, into the public domain. And so anyone with a camera phone can film, obviously, Saudi security forces trying to evict people or take action and, and very quickly put it onto the internet and suddenly it's, it's sort of going around the world. And so I don't see any 
dramatic change in behavior. I think also the sort of critics of Mohammed bin Salman will continue to try and use all the incidents that eventually may, may and will happen, probably also trying to aim their targets at the international companies that Mohammed bin Salman is trying to attract. I think international human rights organizations should realize that Crown Prince and the Saudi leadership won't necessarily change, but uh, they potentially can change the behavior of international companies looking to invest. Well, Mr. Uriksen, I think we could talk for hours too, <laughs> but unfortunately our time is over. So I would like to thank you so much for your time and contribution. This is Marina Guimarães for Wiki Threat. Stay tuned for our next episodes.